0: How many of you know we serve a good God, amen? Amen. We serve a good God. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. My name's Matt Bell, and I just want to welcome you uh, to Destiny Church and tell you that we're glad that you're here today, and we're believing that God's got a destiny for your life, a plan, a purpose, that we weren't created by accident. But that God knows us. He sees us. He created us. He formed and fashioned us for a a divine calling, a, a purpose that is even beyond anything that we could imagine. And so that's the God that we serve, and we're just so glad that you're here with us this morning. I would like to invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 today we're continuing a series that we started last week on the parables of Jesus. We're calling this series, Jesus' Fav- Jesus's Favorite Stories. And these are the stories that Jesus would tell as he went from town to town, preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching and preaching the truth of God's word. He would tell these stories. They're called Parables. They're fictitious stories, they're not true life events, and they're simple stories on the surface, but they really contain a deep and a profound and powerful truth. Amen. And so what we saw last week was that the truth of the parables, the meaning of the parables are reserved for those who believe in Jesus. That the truth contained within the parables, the reason Jesus taught in parables was so that the truth contained within it would be revealed to those who were people of faith. Now, how many of you would say, that's me today? I'm in that category of, peop- of a person who believes in Jesus. He also said that there is a, a blessing from God for those who know the truth in these parables he said blessed are your eyes speaking of those who have faith blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear so contained within the truth of the parables is a blessing from god amen And that as we understand these parables, as we understand the truth, as we learn and unpack and discover what's hidden beneath the surface, that we're actually experiencing the blessing of God in our lives. Now this morning, we're going to look at two parables, two different parables that teach the same thing, and it's only three verses, three verses today. One of the parables is only a verse long. And so it is a short passage. It is a simple story, but it is profound truth and powerful truth for us today. Now, some of you are thinking, this is great. I'm going to be able to go to lunch early today. (laughs) And we'll just see about that. (laughs) We'll just see. So how many of you have ever gotten a really good deal on something? just like you were, maybe, have you ever gotten a good deal on something that you weren't even looking for? Like maybe you went to an estate sale or a garage sale, and you found something that was just like, they, they were selling it for, for pennies on the dollar. They didn't know what they had. Recently, I read this, this news story about a man who uh, was shopping at some sort of flea market or like a place where they sell rocks. You know, like people collect rocks and stuff. And so he went to this place where they sell different kinds of rocks. And he was going to buy some, some rocks for his kids who were into rocks. And so uh, he, he saw in, in this one bin of rocks this potato-shaped, sized rock that was all crusty and dirty. And the bin said that these rocks were $15 each. And so he, he picked up this crusty you know, potato-sized rock, and he went and he took it to the man. And he said, how much is this? And the guy said, you know what? I, if you'll just take it off my hands, I'll, give you 10, I'll, I'll let you have it for $10. So he gets out his money. He hands it to him. He gets a receipt that says he's the rightful owner of this, and then he runs out of there as fast as he could because what he had just bought was the world's largest sapphire worth over $10 million. He bought it for $10. Now, I've never gotten a deal quite like that. But I have had some good deals in my lifetime. Recently, I scored an incredible deal on a brand new computer. I was looking on Craigslist for a computer, and and I found this this computer that was over $1,700 less than it should have been. And so I thought it was a scam, you know, and so I reached out, and they said, no, we have it. You can come look at it. Well, it was nighttime, and it was a part of town that um, I was honestly afraid to go to by myself, so I called up Jim Warner, you know, and I said, hey, I need some muscle. I need, I need someone who can go with me, you know, just in case things go south as I, you know, walk into Lord knows where with, a, you know, pockets full of cash. And he said, I can't go. I'm, a, I'm just about to eat dinner. I'm just sitting down to eat dinner. And I said, well, okay, I understand. I said, if you never see me again, just say some nice things at my funeral, okay? Just say some nice things about me at the funeral. And I, then I hung up. And um, he called me back 10 seconds later. He says, okay, I'll go with you. So we go, and... Um, I was kind of expecting to be hit over the head with a baseball bat as soon as we got into the place, that it was some kind of scam, but it wasn't. There it was, this brand new computer in all of its glory. And so I didn't even try to haggle the guy because the price was so low. I said, what's the price? And I said, here you go, man. And man, we ran out of there about as fast as we could, peeled out, and uh, that thing is fast, it's new, it's clean, it's sharp. And it's probably stolen, (laughs) but now it's mine. And I typed up my notes for it on it this morning, using it for the glory of God, redeeming, redemption, redeeming that computer for the glory of God. Anyway, an incredible deal, an awesome deal. We all love scoring a great deal. And that's what Jesus is gonna tell a story about today in our passage, an incredible deal. In fact, the best deal of your life. So uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Father, speak to us through your word today. We want to hear you. Clearly, we want to understand the truth of what you are communicating to us about your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you for those of us who have been brought into your kingdom. Lord, we've been brought in by the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, who offered up his life as a sacrifice for sinners so that we could be brought into your kingdom, into your family. Lord, that we would no longer be enemies of you, but that we would be your sons and your daughters. Lord, for those who are on the verge of your kingdom, Lord, that you would draw them in today, Lord, that you would produce saving faith within their heart to trust and to believe upon Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. Lord, we thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus says that this king, these parables that he's teaching are about the kingdom of heaven, The kingdom of heaven. Now, what you need to know about the first thing, the most simple thing about the kingdom of of heaven is that the the scripture uses many different words and language to describe the, the same idea and the same thought. And so the kingdom of heaven is the same thing as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of Jesus. When it talks about the kingdom, it's talking about the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is not separate from the kingdom of God. They are one and the same. Matthew, as we're in Matthew's gospel, he uses the terminology of the kingdom of heaven simply because he is writing to a Jewish audience who were very careful about how they used the word God. They were so careful about not using the Lord's name in vain, he writes and talks about the kingdom of heaven because he does not want to offend them. by by them mistaking that he's taking God's name in vain. And so he writes about the kingdom of heaven, but this is simply the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is one of the most pervasive thoughts and ideas in all of the Bible. If you know where to look, if you know how to look, you will see the kingdom of God on every single page. It is the one theme that unifies all Of Scripture it's on the very first page of the Bible and it's definitely on the last page and it is on if you know how to look it is on every single page in one shape or form of your Bible yet we don't really think about things in terms of God's kingdom or the kingdom of God and the reason why is because when we come to Scripture we have modern eyes. We have Western eyes. We have modern ears and Western ears. We have an understanding that is shaped by the culture and the, the, the nation, the country that we live in. And so we have a difficult time seeing it and hearing it because we, as Americans, we don't live in a kingdom, do we? Thank you. <laughs> we don't live in a kingdom, do we? We don't have a king. Right. Thank you. That was kind of what the Revolutionary War was about. Um, So we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a constitutional republic with the powers split into three branches of government. It's very different than a kingdom. None of us probably have ever lived in a kingdom unless you migrated here from somewhere else. And so we live in a government of the people, by the people, for the people, but a kingdom is not like that, and the kingdom of God is definitely not like that. So when we read about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, because we don't really have a well-formed category in our mind of where to put this concept A lot of times we can just read right past it and never, the words don't even register in our mind. We just kind of bounce along the surface and we read, okay, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And we get on and we never really stop and consider, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? What is Jesus teaching? What is he talking about? Today, we're not going to skim along the surface. We're going to go a little bit deeper. So what is the kingdom of God. Simply defined, the kingdom of God is made up of God's people. How many of you say, I'm, I'm part of that? I'm part of God's people? God's people l- living in God's presence. How many of you know that because of Christ, we have access to the presence of God everywhere we are today, right? Amen? That the presence of God is not reserved for a... a, a you know, an elite class of, of super spiritual um, Jedi, you know, whatever. Like, we all have access to God's presence. Jesus says, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That we have access to the presence of God because we're the people of God. So that's the first two parts of the kingdom of God. It's God's people living in God's presence, living under God's rule, and experiencing God's blessing. That's the kingdom of God. God's people living in God's presence, living under God's rule, under His authority, under His law, experiencing His blessing. Now, the kingdom of God is active in the world today. Amen. Jesus came preaching. The kingdom of God. Jesus came and his first sermon was this. In Mark chapter 1 verse 15, Jesus proclaimed, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This was what Jesus preached. The time has come. God's kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, why do I need to repent because the kingdom of God is come near? Why do I have to repent? The word repentance, it, repentance is not saying that you're sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance Means to turn. That's what repentance means. It means I'm going this way and if I repent, I turn and head the opposite direction. So Jesus comes and he says, humanity is headed in the wrong direction. God is coming as a king to rule and to reign. You must turn from the way you are going and turn back To God, because his kingdom is coming. He is announcing, he is heralding a kingdom that is about to come and has now come on the world today. It would be like the armies of Alexander, as they, uh, Alexander the Great, as they marched and conquered, they would send out people who would herald before the army showed up. Alexander is coming. You need to repent and bring yourself under his rule and reign or you will suffer the consequences. And people had the opportunity. They could either come under Alexander the Great's rule and reign or they could not. And they could fight him. And Alexander the Great conquered everyone. He brought his kingdom everywhere. And let me tell you, There's someone greater than Alexander the Great. There's someone more powerful than the most powerful ruler who's ever lived. Amen. His name is Jesus. And so you do not want to be on the wrong side of the kingdom of God when it comes. Jesus is saying, the time is now. You've been going your own way. You've been living unto your own self, but God's kingdom is going to be established. And those who will submit themselves to God as king will live under his blessing. God is a good king. He is merciful and he is patient and he is just. He is equitable. He is a good king. To live under his rule is to experience his life and his blessing. And wherever God's kingdom goes, there is life and blessing and healing and restoration. Amen. Prosperity comes with God's kingdom. But for those who refuse, they will suffer the consequences of making themselves enemies of God. And so Jesus says, you're heading in the wrong direction, you must turn and repent. Now, for those of us who have grown up in the United States of America, the greatest country in the world, amen, like, like we don't like the idea of living under a king. We, we don't like the idea of, of that much power being in one person. But I want to tell you, if you have a good king, the best system of government is a kingdom. There's no bureaucracy. There's no arguing. If you have a good, godly, just king, and if your king is God himself, there is no better system of government than a kingdom. Now, we, where we live, we live in a fallen world with fallen people. We do not want to live under a tyrant. And so we do not want to live under a kingdom in this fallen, broken world. And so when we think of uh, living under a kingdom, that sounds like there's going to be a lot of power in one person. Yeah, but if that person is perfect, then every law will be perfect. Every judgment will be perfect. The judicial system will be perfect. It will be be perfection to live under the kingdom and under uh, the rule and reign of God. Now, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like this. He's saying that this is what it will be like for citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That it will be like a man who, walking along, not looking for anything, sort of stumbles over buried treasure. Now, people... In those days, they didn't have, you know, debit cards and banks, right? That, that you could just go and stick all your money, all your earthly possessions. No. So what did people do with it? Well, they stuck it in the ground. bury treasure. That's where they put it. Especially when um, another king was coming who was going to come and destroy their city and rob everything. They would especially go and bury all their treasure so that later they could come back and find it. And so there's this guy who's walking along and he stumbles across this incredible treasure. He buries it. He goes and he sells everything that he has. It says he does it with joy so that he can go and buy the field and possess the treasure which is worth so much more than everything he sold. The second story is actually someone who is looking, who is searching for something. And he finds what he's looking for, and he is perfectly willing to give up everything he has to possess this great treasure, this pearl that he has found. Now, I want to make it very clear. Jesus is not talking about earning your salvation. He's not talking about earning entrance into the kingdom of God. We we do not pay a price to receive or enter into God's kingdom. We do not earn our salvation. The Bible is so clear on this. Salvation does not come from us. Salvation comes from God. But God, in his love and in his mercy and in his grace, he gives away salvation for free. Salvation is free to everyone who will put their faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Salvation, you cannot, you you couldn't pay for it even if you wanted to. You couldn't earn enough money to buy your salvation and to make yourself right before God. It's only by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that grants us entrance into God's kingdom. It's only what he has done, his work, that makes entrance into the kingdom possible. However, this might be something you've never heard in your life. However, salvation, while it is free and while it is a free gift, it comes with a great responsibility. Salvation comes with a great responsibility. It comes with an obligation. It comes with a duty. While we don't earn it, we receive it freely. God gives it out graciously. When we receive it, we must steward it well. Salvation is a free gift. But there are some strong strings attached to it. And so Jesus will say things like, you need to count the cost of serving me. Jesus was not trying to attract to himself anybody who would follow him. In fact, Jesus many times was very happy To to separate the people who believed in him from the people who were just around him for their own selfish ideas or motives. Jesus would say things like, you don't put your shoulder to the plow and turn back. If you are, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Um, Maybe I'll move on from that. That's kind of heavy. Oh, wait, that's the whole sermon. Okay we'll just stay here then. I'm st- that's all that's here. So this is what it means when Jesus says that you must count the cost. You must count the cost. So Jesus is saying that there is a price to pay for following him. While I don't earn my salvation, I don't earn my righteousness, I don't earn my right standing before God. It's not through my own works. Yet there is a price to pay to follow him having received the kingdom. This is what's called the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. We read about one such story in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, this is a, a story that will be very familiar to many of you if you want to just flip over a couple pages in your Bible. It says, a, man, a young man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep his commandments. He said to him, Well, which ones? There's a lot of those commandments in there, Jesus. Which ones do I have to keep to get eternal life? Jesus says, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. That's a lie. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to what the young man says in verse 20. All of these I have kept. Another translation, or another, later in Luke, uh, it says, All of these I've kept since I was a little boy. Now, how many of you would say I've kept all of these? You've never told a lie? Well, if you said you had kept them, you just broke it, okay? Like, what, what arrogance? He says, All of these I have kept, what do I lack? Like, what did, like, so Jesus says to him, okay, fine, you've kept all of those, that's, that's easy mode for you, that's first grade, that's, that's serving God 101, you want something more challenging? Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard it, he went away sorrowful, for he had great Possessions. This is the cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship. Salvation is free, but there is a price to pay to follow Jesus. Following Jesus will cost you something, very likely, following Jesus will cost you everything. So what are some things that we must give up to follow Jesus? Here he talks about how the the man sells off all of his possessions, everything that he has to possess the kingdom, to to possess this great treasure that he has found. What are some things that we must get rid of that we must sell off, that that we must rid ourselves of if we're going to uh, possess the kingdom of God? The first is self-righteousness. You, you've just got to get over yourself. The kingdom is not about you, the kingdom's about the king. It's about God. It's about his glory, not your glory. It's about him being on a throne, not you being on a throne. It's about him being highly exalted and worshiped, and not you. So you've got to get over this sense of self importance and sense of self righteousness. And, and before we come to Christ, we have these horrible notions of what it takes to please God. If you talk to many people today and you say, well, what, what, what will happen when you die? If, if there's a heaven or a hell, where do you think that you will go? Most people today will say that they're going to heaven. And the ones who say, I'm going to hell, they think it's just going to be a great party with all their sinner friends, that they're just going to be having a great time down there which is their version of heaven. So if you ask anybody where they're going, they'll essentially tell you, well, I'm going to heaven. Oh, really? You're going to heaven? Well, well, why do you think you're going to heaven? And what will they say? Well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Jesus, we've already seen, he says there's nobody good except God alone. Let's say I'm a good person. You know, I try to do nice things, you know, when I'm at HEB and the, 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 the teller's taking a long time to check people out, I just sit there and smile. And, you know, I try to, like, be charitable. And, you know, during the Christmas season, you know, I drop a, a few quarters in the red tin can with the guy shaking the bell. And, you know, I, I think about other people every once in a while. And I don't, I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. And, and if I do do those things, I've got really good reasons for why I do. So I'm a good person. Listen, we have to get over this idea that in ourselves, we are good people. You know, they might say things like, well, my parents are Christians. Or they might even say, well, I go to church. Oh, really? You go to church? Well, which church do you go to? What I love, what I love asking people when they tell me they go to church. Really, what church do you go to? Well, it's that one. um, It's over there. They they can't even tell me the name. Hey, you're at Destiny Church this morning, FYI, in case someone <laughs> asks you what church you go to. Like they can't even tell me the name of the church they go to. And I said, well, where is it at? Well, you know, it's like, um, it's kind of over there, off of such and such. Really, who's the pastor? Um, they don't go to church. And here, even, I'll tell you people who are at church, going to church won't save you. you got to get over this idea that your own good works, your own efforts are going to save you. My friend, listen to me. This is no good. This will not grant you access to the kingdom of heaven. This self-righteousness of yours, God calls filthy rags. What you think is impressive, God finds disgusting. Repulsed by your self-righteousness. To be made right with God, you must humble yourself. You must humble yourself. It's a difficult thing to admit you're a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. Unless you've done it. And then we cling to the cross wholeheartedly. Oh, if it weren't for the grace of God, where would I be? If it weren't for Jesus saving me, where would I be? For those who have come to the cross, for those who have seen the treasure, it's not hard for us to say, I am a sinner who needs a savior, and thank God I have a savior. But for those who have not, it's not an easy thing, but you must relinquish your pride. Like a drowning man, who has no concern for how foolish he looks, calling out for someone to save him. You too must relinquish your pride and call on God to save you. Because without Christ, you are drowning in your sins. And Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sins. Sell off this false idea. Get rid of it. Receive a righteousness that is not your own but comes through faith in Jesus Christ, a perfect righteousness, be made perfect in God's eyes today. You might have come in here the most sinful wretch. You can leave here a saint clothed in the righteousness of God today. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the second thing you, we must get rid of is sinful pleasures and practices a life of sin, a life of sin. We must get rid of it. We must get rid of sin in our lives. Not all pleasure we have to get rid of. There are many wonderful godly pleasures, amen. I thank God for the many wonderful pleasures that I experience and that I live in and the joy that I have that comes from serving God. So it's not that we as Christians have to live this life of drudgery and oppression and, oh, God's laws, they're just so oppressive and they push me down. No, that's not the Christian life. That's not how I live my life. the, The psalmist says, I delight in the law of God. I delight in God's laws. I delight in God's ways. I delight in his commands. They're joyful to me. So we must get rid of sinful pleasures. And you say, well, what is sin? Well, we've got this wonderful book here that just outlines it. It's, in, it's even in black and white. Isn't, have you noticed there's no gray letters in here? It's so crystal clear. Well, let's just start with what the Bible calls sin. Sinful pleasures, they must go. You cannot serve both God and sin. You cannot do it. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he told his disciples who were following him. In Matthew 16, Jesus turns and says to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is the cost of following Jesus. Now I know it's not politically correct or very popular today to stand up in a church and to come and to say you must deny yourself. The things you want to do, you should not do. The things in your flesh that are against God, you must deny them. You must as Paul says, he buffeted his body. He 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 kept his flesh in check. That that uh, Paul writes in Ephesians that we have deceitful desires in our heart, desires that lie to us, desires that say if if you follow them and you give in to them and you cave into them that it will it will give you what you're looking for. It will not. If the Bible calls it sin, at the end there's only death. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no happiness. There's no satisfaction. If it is sin, it is leading you down a corpse-lined pathway to hell, to death. Jesus says you must deny yourself and take up your cross. So what is it in your, in your sinful nature that you crave and that you give into? Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Put it to death in your life. Use the the tools that you have. The Bible says that the, the weapons of our warfare are mighty, are powerful, that the strongholds that the enemy puts in our lives, that they can be defeated through the word of God and the power of his spirit. They will not be defeated by us just trying harder. We have to use the weapons that God has given us. Prayer, the word, worship, the Spirit of God. But we cannot, and this is the point of these parables, is that we can't think that we have, have, are serving God unless we have given him all of us, that we have given everything to him. There are many people today who, who want Jesus as a savior, but they refuse to follow him as their Lord. He has to be both. If you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom, you might as well get used to it. He must be Lord in your life. Jesus says, you can't say that you love me if you don't obey my commands. Those are Christ's words. Those aren't my words. John 14, 50. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Is that too great a price to pay? Is that too much to ask for the treasure Of living in the kingdom of God? Is that too much to ask? Is the price too high? Do you refuse to pay the price? If so, then you are not like the man who found treasure in the field. You are not like the man searching for the pearl. Whatever price is required, whatever the cost, whatever the amount, whatever we must give up, we do so gladly. Gladly, because we know that we have found the deal of a lifetime. What do I have to give God? My self righteousness, God, you can take it. My sin, God, you can take it. Why do I want to hold on to that? Why do I want to hold on to to, to shame and defeat and guilt and condemnation? God, you want it, you can take it. I have found the deal of a lifetime. There's no greater deal around. You you take my sin and my shame and my defeat and my judgment, and what do you, I get life eternal, love, joy, peace, satisfaction, the deepest longings of my heart satisfied. Why wouldn't I take this deal? I've found the deal of a life. I'll give you everything I've got, whatever it takes. This is why Paul writes in in Philippians chapter 2. He says, everything I counted, I count as lost. For the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Whatever it takes, I'm willing to give it up. God, whatever you ask of me, whatever I must lay on the altar, I do so gladly to walk with you, to to live in your kingdom, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Whatever it takes, because we have found the deal of a lifetime. There are some of you who are on the outside looking in today, You you might be looking at the treasure like the man in the field, and you you can kind of see a little bit, but it's still covered. And you say, I don't know if it's worth it. I I don't know how much is there. I have quite a bit that I would have to go and and to sell to get rid of, to, to purchase this. I don't know if it's worth it. Let me tell you from someone on the other side, it's worth it. Whatever price you must pay, whatever sin you must give up, whatever self-righteousness that you must give to him, whatever pride you must relinquish, it is worth it. It is worth it. I was sitting there on the, the, the front row during worship this morning, and you know, I, was, I was reflecting on, on, on the word and, and, and what I was going to share today. And I was thinking about this moment where, where I was going to tell people on the outside who were looking in that it's worth it. And I was thinking... Do, do I believe that? I'm going to stand up there today. I'm going to say that. Do I believe it? And so I, in my mind, I started to, to play through and to, to work through the different scenarios of, of what my life would look like. And, and would, I, would I be better off if I wasn't a part of the kingdom of God? And I just had to say, no, absolutely not. Oh, my goodness. I, I couldn't imagine living any other life. What what would my life be like without Jesus? What would my life be like if God was not my father? Oh, to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, let me tell you, it's worth it. It is so worth it. Whatever price you must pay, whatever the king requires, it will cost you everything, but in return you receive more than everything. You receive life eternal, relationship with God. The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? It's a joy to give everything to enter into God's kingdom. Because in the end, this king that we serve, there's nothing that we we give in service of him that he does not pour back on us a hundred times a hundredfold, a million times over. God is no man's debtor. (laughs) The things that we give are worthless. The things we receive, you cannot put a price on. In this story, we saw people with two different experiences. There was the one man who was just kind of walking around not even paying attention and he just stumbled into this treasure but when he saw it he knew what it was you might be like that today you might have just stumbled here in here this morning not even knowing why you're here but God has put something before you today and you see the treasure of being a part of God's kingdom will you apprehend it today will you respond in faith Will you get rid of the self-righteousness and the sin? Will you come before God and humble yourself and say, God, would you save me? Let me tell you, if you do that today, God will save you. Everything I've talked about today, he will grant to you. He will give you new righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that your old life of sin and shame and death, that it will be gone away, that you will have a new life, that you will literally be reborn. By the Spirit of God. The second person was someone who was who was searching for something. He he knew he was searching for for something valuable, but he, he didn't know exactly what it was. But when he saw it, he knew that he had found what he was looking for. Maybe that's you. Maybe you came in here searching today. You've tried drugs, you've tried alcohol, you've tried sex, you've tried everything else with everyone else, and it hasn't satisfied you, and you said, you know what? Maybe I'll just give God a chance. You've been looking for any, everything, to, to see something of value, the answer, and you've, you've come today, and you've said, you know what? I believe it's Jesus. Listen, if you too will respond in faith, God will make you whole. God will forgive your sins, He'll give you his eternal life. You walk out of here with a new life. That's what God promises. That's what his word promises. This isn't my idea. This, is, this isn't my thoughts. This is God's word. This is God's revelation to humanity.